Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Bobby Loveless. And I'm Danielle. And I'm Matt Schreckbein. Hey, Matt's hey, back! Matt. I'm back. Yeah, we got welcome you back, back on the show, back. man. Yeah, I miss you guys. It's yeah. been a while. How's it going? Going well. I've been super busy. Otherwise, hanging in there. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's a lie. I'm exhausted. No. I'm really <laughs> tired. Everything is really run down and... Aww. I'm just trying to put on a face. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's really nice to have you back. Yes, we appreciate you being on the show, man. Oh, yeah. No, I wouldn't have missed it. So we're an all-Hellboy podcast. We're reading all the Hellboy comics. And every week we interact with all of our listeners. And this week, Tom Barnett is going to tell you all about it. All right. So it's a book club. And it started with Mike Mignola, who likes to draw monsters. So he drew the Hellboy. And then John and Aubrey and Danielle read it, and they all like it, and they tell us what they liked, and then we read it, and then we tell them what we liked and what we thought, and then Mark Tweedell comes in, he says, try reading it this way, and that's fun too, and then everybody reads it, and all the things, and there's friendship, and it's a book club. And it's fun. Aww, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you and so friendship. much. That was great. Tom Barnett. Book club member. Yeah, awesome. And I want to plug real quick um, Lawrence Campbell's new comic. I talked about this last week. It just came out. It's called Old Haunts. I had a chance to pick it up from my local comic book store. Shout out to Bedrock City Comics. And it was awesome. It's a great issue. So, yeah, definitely check that out. Oh, and thank you so much, everyone, who's been donating to our fundraiser giveaway. And thank you... Aubrey and Matt for contributing some prizes. That's so awesome. Yeah, thank you for doing it. I mean, that that's such a great charitable thing to yeah. do. Also want to echo John. Thank you to everybody who's been donating. You guys have been so generous. Yeah, so we thank you. We we've met our goal and now we've surpassed it. And so now I'm just trying to see how much more funds we can get into our donation deadline. So yeah, check that out on our social medias. And um, yeah, I really appreciate it. I'm so excited every time I see more names and I see all the book club members in there you know, get throwing a couple bucks at it. So I really appreciate that. It's interesting that we're recording uh, today. I mean, you're going to hear this a couple of days from now, but we're recording on Juneteenth. That's right. Yeah. Which is um, originally it was just like a, cause it started in Texas and then uh, more and more States grabbed hold of that and started to recognize that it's really upsetting First of all, that I did not learn about this in school when right. I should have <laughs> learned about this. I went to school in Texas. I was not taught about this at all. And uh, so unfortunately, I had to learn about this from, you know, my friends and from like Wikipedia and right. from all the stuff. And so, of course, we did, you know, we lived in Third Ward for a while and, you know, Emancipation Park is there and you can go down there and read the plaque and all this stuff. But it's unfortunate that we didn't we were not taught about this in school right so basically juneteenth you know emancipation proclamation is signed okay does that really make slavery go away no so people who are still enslaved in states where there's not a lot of like a big union presence union soldiers they haven't heard of this right or this you know this and so you know it's still business as usual over there and so uh, one of, a union general i can't remember his name he comes down to galveston and he makes this big announcement and he says hey uh, by the way, the Emancipation Proclamation happened, so all the people who are enslaved are now free people, but, you know, you're going to keep working for your former masters, and, like, now it's going to be a boss and an employee kind of thing. Yeah, right. Okay. Like, that really happened. You know, and so it was kind of this whole, like, 
are we really free though? Because right, we don't right. have any. And it was like, also, the government's not going to protect you. You can't just be idle. You have to be like, like, and it was this very. So they have no money, no ha- no place to sleep, no place to go. Right. There's no social services set in place for these formerly enslaved people. There's so many people, and so. Yeah, it kind of just kept being like, I guess we'll keep working for... Like, so it was a really fucked up thing for a long time. And of course, I, I don't have time to explain the whole thing here, but go research it. It's amazing. And so over the years, you know, then of course we had a bunch of Jim Crow laws and the Jim Crow thing happened and that's horrible. And so then gradually more more and more. So we're still fun. So even today, there's still so much inequality and inequity and it's we're still fighting against this fucked up system of you know racial inequality and of course you know just because the emancipation proclamation happened doesn't mean that everyone is free so we're still working towards that and that's another reason why we're doing the thing and we're donating this money to the NAACP yeah who are fighting for that and so that's awesome yeah sorry for that big long rambly thing I felt like I had to say something about that you got the research assistant for this week (laughs) I I think Juneteenth is uh, I said something today on twitter like yes i'm bugged that i didn't learn this in school but i think more importantly are they teaching it now right like, i don't know this i mean it needs yeah, I don't know. to be a subject in school um, i read that, some tweets that were saying like i really hate that all these people had to die for more attention to be drawn towards right. this <laughs> yeah. but right. i am glad that people are paying attention so sure. it's just very like somberly glad that people are paying attention to this right yeah. right yeah well it's like watchmen also you know yeah with uh, the tulsa oh the tulsa massacre yeah yeah, yeah. that's something that wasn't really they don't teach um, us this shit. It, it wasn't really widely known you no. know until that and you have to go find that out so anyway yeah juneteenth is a it's a positive thing yeah for the country's yeah. history right why yeah. wouldn't they promote that it's it's also known as Freedom Day and Jubilee Day and Liberation right. Day. Right. Those are very positive sounding names <laughs> for a holiday. Why aren't they throwing those around as much as possible? Yeah. Now, I right. just think I just think it's a huge oversight. Because One of it's, many. it's meant to empower black Americans that are descended from formerly enslaved black Americans. So, of course, right. why would our government want to do that? Right. You know what I mean? Like, no, Daniel, I want to echo because, like, I didn't learn about Juneteenth or any of that stuff in because uh, I grew up in Alabama, and I got to learn about how the Northerners came down and oppressed oh, the white Southerners after the great. Wow. That's the kind of bullshit I was taught. And up, luckily, yeah. was smart enough to go, hmm, let me look into that. Oh, it's bullshit. Of course, <laughs> I will have to say it's wasn't like immediate it was more a gradual thing for me you know and a lot of that doesn't have to do with like intelligence or how smart you are it's it's just like more of it's it's more of like a social thing awareness it's yeah and so you have but it wasn't wasn't like a uh intelligence thing it's just more of a curiosity thing because i actually do enjoy studying about history yeah and so i'm like oh what's this juneteenth Oh, okay. What's this thing? Unlearning, like that, you know? unlearning a lifetime of having propaganda yeah. shoved down your throat right. is, you know, it's it's a it's very worth it, but it's also like, how are you gonna yeah. get out of the matrix if you're in the matrix, man? Whoa! <laughs> so you have to like learn how to unplug yourself and do all that. Yeah. Why do my eyes hurt? Oh, you never used them before. Oh no. <laughs> that type of shit. I saw a, a video a couple of years back um, on Vox. How the daughters of the Confederacy in the ni- in the early 1900s went around and erected all the statues and the monuments Ugh. and 
you know, this is like this is like right around the time I I want to say the the Dylan Ruth stuff happened, and they're like people are like, hey, maybe we should get rid of these monuments to these traitors uh, and know. loot their. And they're like, it's my heritage. I'm like, fuck your heritage, First man. First of all, the Confederacy lasted less than five years. Uh, second of all, you're a bunch of fucking losers who enjoy slavery. Yeah. Like enslaving other fucking people. That's nothing to be proud of. And and, and also leave us a review and all that junk. Yeah, and that too. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's time for... Bean talk with Aubrey and the gang. <laughs> hey, no, you- I don't know. We're not doing any more bean talk. Wait, no. wait. So do you guys remember you used to pronounce my name Strack Bean? Yeah. And I said lots of people did, and that's why my nickname in high school was Bean. <laughs> right? I, I just occurred to me on the last when I was listening to the last episode, I was like, oh no. I have bean relevance. <laughs> Listen, bean, I don't want to hear anything else from you. Uh, <laughs> I, I will just add that uh, I did go look for those beans today in my Kroger's. That I, that I It's a new Kroger's. I just moved. Uh, the British toast beans? Yeah, but they <laughs> we weren't there. Okay. I was, like, so upset. Now i got to drive all the way back to my old Kroger to get the beans. Yeah. But I... I will have this fucking beans and toast. This is a goddamn mission right now. Okay. Well, uh, you have fun doing that. Yeah. Jerry Turnbull said, Danielle is really missing out. Cast your doubts aside. Get the right beans. Put them on a slice of toast and live on the wild side. I'm going to have beans over here. I'm going to have toast over here. And I, that's what I'm going to do. No, I'm with Aubrey. I'm going to look for these beans, uh, too. No. Send me the picture of the thing, Aubrey. I'm going to look for it. See if I can get it on okay. my next, oh, um, oh, next shopping I'll, I'll run. Sincerely, this is sincere that you enjoy this snack. Go enjoy your snack. I'm not gonna do it. <laughs> and now we're gonna go on to our listener feedback. So get out your treats and floppies. Get out your hardback copies. Digital print is fine. You can read along in time. Regarding our discussion of weird tales, Mark Tweedo had some more thoughts. He said. I mentioned doing weirder tales, but I think I'd rather see something else. Remember in Witchfinder Lost and Gone Forever, there's a moment where Edward Grey is shown a penny dreadful called Sir Grey and the Soho Vampires. I'd like to see comics like that, which are canon in the sense that they are fiction within the Hellboy universe. It's a way of seeing how people who live in the Hellboy universe view famous people like Sir Edward or Sarah Jewell or the Lobster Johnson. It's a way to be a little playful with the characterization without jumping into this is meaningless territory. Though perhaps they would work better as short backup stories rather than full issues like Hellboy Weird Tales. In a way, we've already got a template for that with Hellboy versus Lobster Johnson in the Ring of Death. Unfortunately, you're not up to that story, but just trust me, it works. Yeah, that would be great. I would love to see that little Penny Dreadful story, or that would be like a good backup story. There was even like two pages within the Mysteries of Unland where they made it look like that, right? Oh, yeah, with the cop. Yeah, that, I mean, that was awesome. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. God, that story was good. Unland? I, I really like that one. Yeah, the more that I think back on it, and that Tyler Crook painted art was so amazing. I was actually looking at some of those pages. Um, there's some great pages from that series for sale on his website. There was a really cool one of Edward Gray fighting the eels, and I was like, hmm. I was like, oh, okay, I better not. Regarding Hellboy and the BPRD Beyond the Fences, Jaku on Instagram said, Rivera draws the best right hand of doom, in my opinion. And Sarah Cole said, Hellboy in the t-shirt is my all-time favorite looks for the guy. 
right next to the 90s still has red eyes hellboy yeah i do like hellboy in the bprd black t-shirt with the trench coat yeah that was a good look i like that i agree i also like that look on hellboy there was that moment in that story where this one lady was like telling her friend about this book babylon rising and Mark Tweedell said, that's something you're going to want to remember. So, okay. Regarding Hellboy and the BPRD Black Sun, Hayden Orr said, that panel of the Nazi flying saucer gave me Major The Thing vibes the first time I read this story. And he posted a screen grab from The Thing, and there is a shot that's kind of like that, where it shows the aircraft like crash in the snow. Oh, okay. Oh, man, I saw that comment today, and the first thing I thought was, why didn't we make that connection? Yeah, that's a good one, too. It's very like, kind of like uh, relevant to that story. And Seeker99 on Instagram said, One of my teachers was Hindi, and I showed her BPRD, the Black Goddess, and she was actually impressed that they included some elements from Hindu and Indian mythology. Yeah, that's really cool. I like that. Nice. There's a lot of mythology in this story that we're going to read today. And regarding Unreasoning Beast, that was the Patrick Reynolds art story that we read last week. Tom Barnett said, Really felt like Unreasoning Beast was a big growing point for Hellboy. In Beyond the Fences, Hellboy definitely notices the sad kid at the end, the kid that lost his dad and his dog, and Hellboy doesn't say anything to the child. Though in Unreasoning Beast, he comforts the kid at the end. I didn't even think about that. But yeah, there's that moment in Beyond the Fences where he sees them in the hospital, and then he doesn't say anything to them. And the kid and the mom are all crying, and he just, like, gets in the car and goes away. That seems like, you know, he's still kind of coming into all of that, I guess. But that seemed weird that he didn't address them. I didn't think about that till afterwards. Maybe mm. it's a, like, one of those things of, like, it would have just not been appropriate or done more harm than good. Or, right, like, I don't right. want to hear from him. You know what I mean? Like, right. Well, it might, it might have been kind of like a, a kind of, because didn't Hellboy, like, reassure the kid earlier in the story that everything was going to be okay or something like yeah, that? Yeah, he sure did. But then, and that, then like, he probably didn't felt like, happen. but then, like, it wasn't. Yeah. And so kind of felt embarrassed or yeah. something. Because he was young and it's, like, one of his first missions. Exactly. Right, right. Yeah, that's so interesting. All right. Thanks for all the listener feedback this week. And thanks again, Tom Barnett, for his awesome audio clip that he sent in. <laughs> that was great. Awesome. Thank you. All right, and now we're going to go on to our book club episode for the week. This week we're talking about Hellboy and the BPRD 1954 Ghost Moon. This is a two-issue arc published in March to April 2017, written by Mignola and Robertson, and art by Mark Chirilla. Chirilla is a comic book writer and artist known for drawing Hellboy, Godzilla, Big Trouble in Little China, The Avengers, and more. He is also known for his psychedelic Red Scare alternate history yarn, the Secret History of D.B. Cooper by Ani Press. Some of his other titles include Secret Wars, The Avengers in the Infinity Gauntlet, Plants vs. Zombies, Dark Horse Presents, The Six Gun, and We Kill Monsters. I actually follow Brian Chirilla on Twitter, and he's great. He's a great follow on Twitter because he doesn't give a fuck about him. He's great. I really like following him. He's he's entertaining to hang out with online. So, yeah, check awesome. him out. In the sketchbook section, this is kind of cutting ahead a little bit, but I thought this was interesting. Scott Alley says that Chirilla is a close friend of Dave Stewart. And they were able to work closely to blur the edge between the line art and the color. So I thought that was really cool. And, of course, colors by Dave Stewart and letters by Clem Robbins. Here in the trade paperback version, we get the outstanding cover for Hellboy Ghost Moon issue two by Mike Huddleston. He did the artwork for last week's story too. And yeah, I really love this. It's got like the 
golden crane yeah. kind of logo thing and yeah I, I like i like the title like when i started reading this and i saw that the title of this was ghost moon yeah i got excited i was pumped yeah the whole aesthetic yeah, of it is really that. good we open in the bprd headquarters in fairfield connecticut in 1954 and we're in broom's office and it seems like they're having a debriefing and i see Agent Stegner in there with Agent Farrier. Agent Farrier was the one that was with Hellboy in Black Sun, that UFO story. And so I guess they had some other mission that they're kind of talking about here. Margaret interrupts and says there's an urgent international call for him. It's Lady Cynthia Eden-Jones. And we get this panel in the corner where we see kind of like a spectral version of her. Something has come up in Hong Kong, and I could use your assistance, she says. For one brief second, I thought he was actually video chatting her for some reason. Right, right. it does give that, right? Because it's like, what is happening there? Is she a ghost or something, or is she speaking to him? I mean, he's on the phone, right? So No, that's so that's a zoom-in of the picture on his desk, the famous picture oh, of the Oh, you're right. Yeah, it almost looks oh. like it's like a spectral version of her. That's what I thought it was. It's Thank behind you. glass. Yeah, They're trying to make it... Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It might be like double work there, or double meaning, and and it is also kind of spectral. Right, but because I think she is that like that. Yeah, it's weird that it didn't get more in focus on a zoom in. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's still kind of. But I. But like Danielle just said, it's yeah. glass. It's yeah. The frame. This uh, they're yeah. doing a cinematography thing where it's like that's where the camera would. Yeah, be yeah, in I like that. Yeah. That's cool. And we haven't seen Lady Cynthia since Hellboy's Seat of Destruction. She was alongside Broom and Malcolm Frost when Hellboy first appeared in East Bromwich. We cut to the Kai Tak Airport in Hong Kong. This was the International Airport of Hong Kong from 1925 until 1998. It was officially named Hong Kong International Airport in 1954, which is the year of this story. And we see Hellboy, Archie, and Susan Jang exit the BPRD plane. It's details like this that are good for set and setting that we talk about that a lot of like, look at this old plane. Yeah. It's not old to them. It's modern to them. Yeah. So it's, this is what year it is. You can sell by the plane. And so it's, I kind of like, like anything they can do to make it you know right to yeah to give you a feel of what year it is or whatever as they exit the plane hellboy's worried that they don't have much to go on and archie says that they'll follow susan's lead why because i'm chinese she asks i've never been to china i grew up in san francisco and archie says he just meant because she speaks a language and being a psychic can't hurt either well, no, no, no. He, he goes because you speak the lingo yeah yeah okay so on this page i'm very much with her like yeah dude what yeah. the fuck <laughs> but then she immediately starts explaining all of this right cultural yeah. stuff like well w what it made me think of was in 1952 when we first met her there was like like they were surprised there was a female agent yeah remember they didn't even have a bed for right. her when they showed up in that village or whatever so i yeah. think maybe she's used to being kind of um, well yeah she she's getting like double bullshit because a she's she's a woman and then b she's a chinese american 
Right. So it's, you know, she's like, I grew up in San Francisco. I don't know the fuck you're talking about. He's like, oh, no, because you speak the lingo. And I'm like, what the fuck are you trying to say? But then on the next couple of pages, she's explaining in great detail every every aspect of the culture in this country she's never been to. Right. So, like, I. That's interesting. I don't know. I kind of felt like, on one hand, she's giving him a really hard time. And on the the other hand, she's like apparently a huge expert on local (laughs) Chinese culture. So. Well, I think that there's also. I think that there's something in the story where she knows more than she thinks she knows mm. or something like that. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, there, that seems like a weird. It, it, it is. Oversight. It is like, a little weird. Like the writer is trying to be like, hey, just because of this doesn't mean that. But then goes they they go ahead and they put that in there anyway. It just seems I don't know. That was one thing that I was couldn't put my finger on. OK, I just wanted okay. To throw it out there to y'all and. He meant like the locale, like help us find our way around the streets. Right. Right. And she's like, and look, she I've was never like, been I'm not even China. from here. Yeah. Well, you know, know what stood out to me on that page is they're wearing Hellboy's overcoat. Have we seen BPRD agents wear that before? Oh yeah, you're right. I don't oh, know cool. if we have. Yeah, I don't know. I've never noticed that. I have to go back and look in the other ones. I want to say maybe Zhang was wearing an overcoat in one of the other stories that she was in because she's been in a couple at this point. I have to go back and look. I haven't. That's not a detail that I've been like kind of looking for. But sorry. Anyway, you're you're right. It is a little odd how she jumps straight into. So like, yeah, I'm just not sure. I really don't know. But like yeah. I I've, on 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 the one hand, I do like that she's like, hey, look, that's not a cool thing yeah. to assume. But then on the other hand, it's like, look, if you're gonna take the lead on the mission because you're more experienced than they are, that's fine to do. Yeah. So I don't know. Like it's it's. Uh, I'm not sure how to feel about about that, is what I'm saying. As the agents enter this town, they see this parade with all these ghost motifs. Some cool shit. Yeah, Chirilla really did his research on these masks. So these kind of like white skull masks, and even in the front, that these kind of like long masks yeah. that kind of almost look like shields. Like those are actual masks, those and they look, they look amazing. Yeah. So I'll post some side-by-side comparisons so you can kind of see that. Archie sees a woman putting food out. Food doesn't look that bad. They need to dump it on the sidewalk, he says. So this is definitely a fucked up gross thing that he's saying now. Right, so yeah. This cemented now in my mind is like, okay, this guy sucks. Come on. <laughs> it's a lot of, a lot of insensitivity here. Zhang says it's an offering to the spirits. The seventh month in the Chinese calendar is called the Ghost Moon, and there's a month-long Hungry Ghost Festival. An old folk belief says the gates of hell open for one month so spirits can search for food and entertainment. People put out offerings of food, light incense, and burn stacks of hell money for dead relatives to spend in the afterlife. Sweet. Still seems like a shame to waste that food. I'm starving, Hellboy So they're, they're immediately <laughs> categorizing it as a total, that this is a right. waste of food. But like, to the people that are doing this, it's definitely not a waste. It's their culture. It's what right. they're doing. So it's, you know what I mean? Like, come on. And uh, all the stuff that Zhang talks about is historically accurate. On the 15th day of Ghost Month, the realms of heaven and hell and the realm of the living are open. And both Taoists and Buddhists would perform rituals to transmute and absolve the sufferings of the deceased. Activities during the month would include preparing ritualistic food offerings, burning incense, and burning joss paper, a paper mache form of material items such as clothes, gold, and other fine goods for the visiting spirits of the ancestors. Elaborate meals would be served with empty seats for each of the deceased in the family. 
treating the deceased as if they were still living. Other festivities may include buying and releasing miniature paper boats and lanterns on water, which signifies giving directions to the lost ghosts and spirits of the ancestors and other deities. And as the agents go down into this alley, we see this sign that says, Sino-British Importation Distribution. And I guess that's the place where they're meant to meet their contact. They knock on the door, and they meet Roland Child. And he's like this uh, smooth guy with the glasses and the hat and all this kind of stuff. Apparently, yeah, very noir. Yeah. Right? Trying real hard to be noir guy. Right. Yeah, uh, central casting for noir guy. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, a blue blood that Broom knew back in the war... An arist- so that a blue blood is an aristocrat, and so I guess that's um, Lady Cynthia, right, is who they're referencing right. there. As they go out into the town with child, they see these guys with these round hanging lanterns. More hungry ghost stuff, Hellboy asks. Those are salvation lanterns, Zhang responds. They're lit to guide the wandering spirits and keep the evil ghosts at bay. And Archie asks child about his import-export outfit, and child says... They got direction from Lady Cynthia to meet a Chinese national who was in possession of an item of some value, but it wasn't easy to find him. And he mentions Chairman Mao. Mao Zedong was known as Chairman Mao. He was a Chinese communist revolutionary who became the founding father of the People's Republic of China, which he ruled as the chairman of the Communist Party of China from its establishment in 1949 until his death in 1976. Ideologically a Marxist Lenist, his theories, military strategies, and political policies are collectively known as Maoism. On October 1st, 1949, Mao proclaimed the foundation of the People's Republic in China. In the following years, he solidified his control through campaigns against warlords, suppressions of counter-revolutionaries, in quotations, and through a psychological victory in the Korean War, which altogether caused the death of several million Chinese. And Child says there was a lot of refugees during this time, which is kind of historically accurate with all of that. And they ended up in these settlements. Mao was a really bad guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's up there with Stalin. And Child says he went to these settlements with two of his associates, Thomas Rhyme and Marjorie Daw. Those aren't real names, surely, Zhang says. I really like that comment. Are they using fake names? Right, yeah, I don't know. They're all kind of... um, yeah, weird noir names. Weird, like, uh, they seem, yeah, they seem made up. Yeah, it's just occurring to me, are those actual, like, names from fiction, works of fiction or something? Oh, or? I don't know. I guess maybe, man, I should have looked that up. Maybe she's just pointing out that their spy names sound fake. Right. Because, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they are technically, like, spies, I guess, sort of in the, they're infiltrating in a spy-like manner, so they wouldn't want to use their real name. But she's like, your name sounds stupid. Yeah. <laughs> and as Child is talking to them, he also mentions Kowloon Walled City. This was a ungoverned, densely populated settlement in Kowloon City, Hong Kong, originally a Chinese military fort. The Walled City became an enclave after the new territories were leased to the UK by China in 1898. Its population increased dramatically following the Chinese occupation of Hong Kong during World War II. By 1990, the Walled City contained 50,000 residents within its 6.4-acre borders. 
From the 1950s to the 1970s, it was controlled by local triads and had high rates of prostitution, gambling, and drug abuse. In January 1987, the Hong Kong municipal government announced the plans to demolish the walled city. After an arduous eviction process, the demolition began in March of 1993 and was completed in April of 94, and it became a park in December of 1995, which occupies the area of the former walled city. Some historical artifacts from the walled city, including its administrative building and the remnants of its southern gates, have been preserved there. Child says that his team split up because there were so many people to try and track down, and then 30 minutes later, he heard shouting. We get a flashback here. He's found Marjorie bleeding. He couldn't find Thomas, and then he saw this horse monster thing, right? And so we see this horse monster kind of in shadow, and then we also see this hand there, and it's got like a familiar-looking ring on its finger, right? Yeah. Okay, so I did not notice that when I read it this morning but when i saw it right now i'm like holy shit zoom in fly ring yeah 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 house of the fly with all the influx of the refugees in recent years the population of the walled city has skyrocketed child says then where the heck is everybody hellboy asks zhang says they split up but child says that after last time that's the last thing they want to do they look through the city but they find nothing susan starts to get a sense It's like a palpable despair, she says, a feeling of unease. I can almost hear it, like nails on a chalkboard. And she points them towards this direction. Archie says he thinks he can almost hear it too. And then we reveal there's this circle pile of collapsed bodies. Jeez, Hellboy says. They don't see Thomas, and Jang goes over to examine the bodies. And so here she gets this vision. We get this full splash page by Chirilla. We see this kind of relic jar with an ornate lid. And the lid looks like a palace on it or something. Have we ever seen anything like that before? I was trying to figure out if that was something that we've seen. No, I don't think we have. I mean, especially when we get further in the story, we learn that what it is. And it's just like, I don't think we've actually ever seen anything quite like this. And we also see this guy kind of carrying it, right? He's got it like in a bag. And I like how there's just one panel of this guy, but just by looking at that, you can tell like he's like suspiciously... He's trying to protect it. Right, or something. You get a sense from that, just from that one image right there. I think that's really interesting. And in the background, we can kind of see that whatever is coming out of this jar, it has all these like lightning tendrils that it's... uh, It's doing something bad. It's doing something to all these people, right? What I took from it, even before I got further into the story, was it's sucking their souls out of their body and bringing it into the container in the jar. Yeah, it's so interesting that you kind of get all this information from this just wordless page i really like that just a great job by trillo here hey i just looked this up i don't know what thomas rhyme is i haven't been able to figure that out but there's an old rhyme seesaw marjorie doll oh wow okay awesome thomas rhyme seesaw marjorie doll that could be uh, i don't know i know chris robertson does a lot of research in preparation Oh, yeah. Yeah, most of the stuff in this story is very accurate to everything that they're saying. I read all of the outlines and scripts for these before they were published. How did you do that? How did you get that? I was going to bring it up later, but once we decided to do a Lady Cynthia backup story, he said, here, read all this stuff so you can see what we're doing with our current. Oh, nice. That is so cool. And, And the outlines were, like, longer than the scripts and more extensive so you said it was a rhyme that said that ended with Marjorie Dow. 
and the other guy he saw marjorie Daw, and then here child roland is a fairy tale the most popular mm-hmm. version written by joseph jacobs in english fairy tales published in 1890 so these are probably all related to like tra- nursery rhymes or fairy tales or something yeah like that. yeah but or like british british yeah. based Oh, well, that's and so interesting. Guy, and the one guy's name is Rhyme, so maybe it's a nursery rhyme. Yeah, yeah. Thing. Yeah, I but, like that. Anyway. Cool. Thank you for that. But yeah, reading those outlines were intense because I was like, I never give anything mo- more than like a three-sentence pitch for right. my story. <laughs> <laughs> like, this happens, and then it ends. And that's usually how I throw it out there. So, anyway. I was reading that, and I was like, oh, I hope nobody expects me to do all this writing. <laughs> 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 I want to uh, get to the art. <laughs> that's awesome. When Jang describes to the others what she saw in her vision, Child says, it sounds like a hunping. Funerary urns, sometimes called spirit jars. My associates and I were sent here to collect one that supposedly dates back to the Jin Dynasty, Lady Cynthia has an interest in rare antiquities, Child says. Hellboy asks her what else she saw. I saw a man. Someone is using the jar to collect the spirit energy from these people, she says. And I think I know where he is. I don't know if I buy that rare antiquities line. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think if she has an interest in it, it's because of some psychic thing. Right, and they kind of bring that up at the end, too. We'll talk about that a little bit more. But I did look up the Hun Ping the purpose of the Hunping is somewhat enigmatic, but archaeologists suggest that they may have been used as containers for fruit accompanying the deceased into the afterlife. According to the Metropolitan Museum of Art, the ancients may have hoped that the soul of the deceased would eventually reside inside the vessel. So Zhang says that she thinks she knows where this guy is, and then we cut to this building that's got all this creepy energy all around it. I think that's a really cool effect, and they talked about how Chirilla worked with Dave Stewart to kind of blur that line with the color and the art. And you can kind of really see that coming through here. This top panel is, is amazing. Yeah. yeah. Even if she didn't know where he was, I probably could have just followed the energy that's flowing into that room. Right, right. <laughs> and Hellboy asks Sue if she's okay. She seems a little shaky. And she says, seriously, Hellboy, I'm fine. There's just, I can feel the energy around this thing. It's like a wall. If a person behind this is inside, I say we go introduce ourselves. Yes, Child says. And they're going to go inside, and then Archie's like, um, guys. And then we see this ox head and horse face. How about that? <laughs> they're t- I like how they're just standing there. They're just hanging out, I guess. <laughs> ox head and horse face are two guardians or types of guardians in the underworld in Chinese mythology, as indicated by their names. Both have the bodies of men, but ox head has the head of an ox, and horse face has the face of a horse. <laughs> they are the first beings a dead soul encounters upon entering the underworld. In many stories, they directly escort the newly dead to the underworld. And I notice they have like these hook swords. Yeah, the hook swords there. They, yeah, they each have really cool. one, which is interesting because they're normally used as a pair. So that's oh, kind okay, of neat. yeah. The twin mm. hooks. The hook sword. They've got all these different names that I'm going to be terrible at pronouncing. Fu Tao, mm-hmm. Hu Tao Gao, Xuan Gao, and that's all I have here. Do you have any additional names? Well, Hu Tao Gao means tiger head hook. Yeah, and that's in Chinese. This is a Chinese weapon traditionally associated with northern styles of Chinese martial arts and wushu weapons routines. 
And when I first saw these swords, I thought, oh, there's another weird Mignola sword. But no, these are actual. Well, it's it was hard to find any information about these really past yeah. the Wikipedia article. Sure. So it's kind of, you know what I mean? They're both saying, return them to us. Return them. Hellboy says, it sounds a lot like the Chinese ghost back in Wyoming from Wandering Souls. That was that other Susan Zhang Hellboy story. Uh, yeah, so when I read this, I was like, that's like in the last story where Hellboy, oh, they're saying return, so we gotta, Hellboy's thinking probably, we've got to find these bones so we can return them to these people and all that. And so I like how Hellboy's connecting things, even though these are his first missions and all that, so he doesn't know a lot. But he's still making connections. You know, he's not like, what are they talking about? Yeah. We've seen that more and more, even on that last one with the the boy in the ectoplasm. Like, he right away yeah. knew, you know, to wake up the kid to get that to stop. And, yeah, you're absolutely right. I like, I like seeing that trend in these stories. Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, because we know that Hellboy is barely eight years old. Maybe go, he's eight going on nine here. So, you know, but he, he these are his first missions. He needs putting things together he's not like some dumb character who doesn't reference the fact that we know what something they've already encountered you know right it's nice to see you know these are kind of the foundation blocks to the buildings of the character that we know hellboy is by the time we get to seed of destruction to the wild hunt to hellboy in hell yeah yeah for sure i love that thanks for pointing that out Zhang says they must be near the center of whatever this is Archie tells Jiang and Child to head in because he and Hellboy have their backs. You sure about that, Archie? Hellboy asks, and they start shooting at the monsters. And I really like this action beat here, and again, like the color palette totally changes. And this work by Chirilla and Stewart is just really neat. They do kind of blend that. I like um just this effect, like that the orange, there's almost like a white border around them instead of a black line it makes me feel like that orange background was ink oh you know yeah what I mean? yeah you're right yeah but they do that at the bottom of the page and it's yellow and i was like huh that did he do that like on a separate layer digitally and then ask Stuart to color it or something oh because it's intentional it's uh, it is almost like he added a stroke and then he's all like hey this is supposed to be standing out or something yeah that is a really cool effect, and so the bullets aren't doing anything. Hellboy says, you might have spoke too soon, Arch. Let's try something else. And he uppercuts the horse with the right hand of doom. I love that. And then so the horse looks down at him all bloodied from his mouth, and it says, that was a mistake, cousin. Oh, my God. That line was all like, oh, they know who he is. Yeah. He, even he doesn't know who he is, but they know who he is. Yeah. Very cool. Inside the building... Zhang is feeling like something bad is about to happen. And Child says, if her sense is right, it might be time to split up. So th this was a part that I didn't understand, because at first he's like, the last thing we want to do is split yeah. up. And then she's like, I have a bad feeling about this. And he goes, let's split up. <laughs> so that was yeah, it. that seems a little inconsistent. But it but... seems like it is the right choice at this point, because he goes upstairs, and downstairs, Zhang discovers this man that's all bound. This is the man that we saw suspiciously looking around with the spirit jar and that vision that she had earlier. And w one thing I think is interesting here is so for a lot of the rest of this issue, we're kind of cutting back and forth between we have Zhang and the man, we have Child and his encounter, and then we have Hellboy and Archie. And so we're with Child upstairs and he encounters this ghost column of faces that's like floating through the hallway. And he follows the trail... Damn it all, he says. 
I tried to give you the benefit of the doubt when this operation went pear-shaped, but I should have known better, he says, as he approaches. It went pear-shaped? That's that what a, he says. Is that a phrase that people use that when things go wrong? I guess. I should have, oh, yeah. I, I should have looked that up. So, yeah, because a pear is like narrow on top and then on the bottom it's round, right? Yeah. Is that what that means? Yeah. I mean, Probably. yeah, it's an inconsistent shape. I guess. Yeah, you know, 1950s slang as well. Yeah. Like no, I understand that it's it's apparently round. slang. I'm not sure, like, what yeah, like like it's like 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 an orange is round, just like Matt said. So, okay. like, I guess that's well, an apple is an irregular shape. Yeah, but a, not as much as a pear. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah, an apple is just tapered. I don't know. Well, <laughs> uh, pear, don't listen to me. I'm so like tired. Pear shaped. It's, pear, it's shaped like a pear. Tell us now what pear shaped means. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It seems weird. Outside, back with the action, we see Hellboy gives another uppercut to the horse face monster, and Archie's doing his best to avoid Oxhead, and they're having a good action beat here. Archie, as he tries to move back, he trips over this rope, and he ends up on his back, and so the Oxhead goes over, return them, it says, and it raises its hook sword over Archie. So look at the leg. Look at Archie's leg when he gets hooked on that rope. See how there's no definitive outline around his pants? Right, yeah. It's interesting, right? It's like some of the the close-ups lose the outline. Yeah, that's part of that blending that they're doing there. And there's more of like that white outline, too, in that panel where Archie's shooting. Well, Matt, Matt, I was going to say the same thing on the Oxhead sword. Also, you lose the black line on the sword. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. You were going to say something? Sorry. No, I'm sorry. I am going back to a stupid, dumb thing. Pear-shaped Wikipedia <laughs> article. It references body shape, which... Hey, everybody, let's stop talking about people's okay, body okay. shapes. That sucks and is mean. It talks about voice. In the 20th century, uh, abstract use of the term evolved. When uh, someone's voice is pear-shaped, it means rich and sonorous. Never heard it used wow. like that at all. Okay, Never and heard that. failure. Yeah. The third meaning is mostly limited to the UK, Ireland, South Africa, and Australia citation needed? It describes a situation that went awry, perhaps horribly so. The origin for the use of this term is in dispute. Uh, Let's see. Tell me about it. The OED cites its origin as within the Royal Air Force as a cleaned up alternative version of the phrase tits up, meaning (laughs) dead, horrible. Wow. Uh, Terrible. As of 2018, the earlier citation is a quote in the 1983 book, Air War South Atlantic, pear-shaped. I know things can be pear-shaped, right. which is that's shaped like a pear, which is like, hey, that's a reference that we maybe both know, as we've both seen a pear, so it's sh- shaped like that. I understand <laughs> referencing like the shape of something. I still don't understand <laughs> an abstract situation right. being shaped like a pear. I guess I just can't. Sure. That's so weird to me. Because a pear has an abstract shape, right? Yeah. But I guess I just don't understand. Like, this is all fucked up. It's shaped like a pear. (laughs) Pears aren't that fucked up. It's just a delicious fruit. Hey, when was the last time you looked at a pear? Listen. (laughs) I won't take this pear slander. Uh, So, sorry about this deviation. I was so confused by this. I had to look this up. I didn't. Anyway. It's Pear Talk with Daniel and the gang. No, it's not Pear Talk. <laughs> no, but it does. Some of the black lines go away, which is... It's very cool, yeah. It's really nice. Artistic effect. Back inside, Zhang frees the bound man, and she introduces herself. 
He has the Hun Ping, the man tells her. And she gasps as she sees the tattoo on his chest. The golden crane, she says. And so I tried to look if there is any kind of reference to a golden crane story. There is a Japanese folktale called The Golden Crane by Tor Yamaguchi and Marianne Yamaguchi. Um, but I don't, it didn't seem like it had anything to do with this. There's no Chinese story of a golden crane that you saw. It's a Japanese folk right, style, the but, one that I found. And, and it was also yeah. dated 1960-something, sure. which would have been well after this. And it seemed like it didn't have anything to do okay. with any of this. So this is totally... I uh, think this is part the, of their yeah. mythology building. Sure. Yeah. And they've, they're like the house of the fly. Sure. Kind of a thing. Sure. The man says his name is Bao Ji. We have to stop him before all is lost, he tells her. Back with Roland Child, we reveal what he saw. It's Thomas. It's that missing agent. He's taken control of the Hun Ping. What choice did I have, he says. One doesn't simply come across an object of such immense power every day. And in this panel right here, I thought, this guy kind of looks like me again. Like That's yeah. what I thought. <laughs> I, like, I thought that same thing. I was like, I like being the guy from uh, Grind, the one who gets taken over by the mushrooms, but I don't want to be the evil guy in this one. Well, dude, I, also, I have to say, I don't actually think you resemble this guy that much. You're In this panel, when they show him later... You're much cuter than this oh, guy. Oh, well, I appreciate this that. Is... But I think uh, when we see him later, it doesn't really look like me, but I think in this panel, it kind of does, especially the way that I cut my hair right now. Well, this well, guy Well, on the is... cover of the next issue, it does, right? right? <laughs> I think... You're it's like Harvey Picar. <laughs> it's like um, you know how every you know Harvey Picar from American Splendor. Oh yeah, I love that comics. Every time he's drawn, he looks like a different guy. Right, right, yeah, right. And it's just like however the artist interprets the guy's attitude came through and the way he looked. So I think it's kind of cool to see different artists take a shot at uh, John Salinas. Yeah. <laughs> Whether they knew it or not. Yeah. <laughs> I want to go on record and say I didn't think it looked like you. Okay, okay, <laughs> good. Well, I was going to wait for somebody else to bring it up. <laughs> Back with the action with Hellboy, Archie, Horseface, and Oxhead. Oxhead was raising his sword right above Archie, and then, of course, at the last second... Hellboy comes in and tackles him out of the way. That's my pal you're messing with, he says. And he asks Archie if he's okay. I've been better, but yeah, still breathing. You interfere in matters beyond your ken, Horseface tells Hellboy. Back with Zhang and Bao Zhi. Zhang says her great uncle also had a golden crane tattoo. Her parents told her that her family served the golden crane for generations, protecting the Middle Kingdom from otherworldly threats. I was raised on stories about my ancestors facing all manner of monsters and demons. I thought that's all they were. Just stories, Zhang says. Then something happened when I was seven years old. Something I don't fully understand. And so we see this kind of monster here. It kind of looks like one of those guardian lions. And we saw some of those guardian lions or something like that, I want to say, in one of the BPRD stories. And then we also see... This flashback, right? And so remember we saw kind of a little teaser of this panel in a previous story. And so we see this guy. He's uh, protecting Zhang and he's got a sword. He says, no, Zhang Shi. 
The girl is under my protection. And Zhang Shi, also known as a Chinese hopping vampire or hopping zombie, is a type of reanimated corpse in Chinese legends and folklore. It is typically depicted as a stiff corpse dressed in official garments, and it moves around by hopping with its arms outstretched. It kills living creatures to absorb their life force, usually at night, while during the day it rests in a coffin or hides in dark places such as caves. Zhang Shi... Legends have inspired a genre of Zhangxi films and literature in Hong Kong and East Asia. Yeah, when I saw this uh, panel, I was like, oh my god, I'm getting a little more backstory on her. And I really, I'm really enjoying the character of Susan Zhang. I mean, any, any more stuff we can get about her, I'm all like, give it to me, give it to me, give it to me. Yeah, <laughs> it's really cool. And I, I like these um, Chinese versions of vampires, zombies, or whatever. I really like how they're incorporating. We've seen this in all the other stories, you know. You take the folklore from Russia, or you take folklore from America, or from the UK, and incorporate into the stories. And so that's something that I always really appreciate. Yeah, but this artifact, too, with Susan Zhang and the golden crane symbol kind of superimposed over her really face beautiful. is like amazing. Really yeah, that is so yeah. cool how they did that. And I love how. The eye of the bird kind of lines up with one of her eyes. It's just really well done. It's really uh, very well laid It's a wonderful piece. Zhang says she thought all those things were dreams. Bao Ji says it can be difficult accepting the truth. Over with child, he holds Thomas at gunpoint, saying he could have killed Marjorie. Thomas said she tried to interfere when he stole the humping. Before he came to work for SID, he had studied the supernatural. And so he took this mission, intending to steal the item if it was really what he suspected. The Hunping already had a lot of spiritual energy in it, and with what Thomas had siphoned off the refugees, his power will be incalculable. See, I would love to cast Jemaine, but I don't know how funny you could make this part. It's oh, yeah. pretty terrible. <laughs> He's doing some really fucked up shit. He kind of looks like Jemaine, yeah, from Flight of the Conquerors. He doesn't look like me as much on these panels. Yeah. I just want to see him in absolutely everything because I love him so much. But this isn't really a comedic yeah. part. I guess you could make it. You but could then, like, how it, much yeah. could you really make fun of what he's doing? It's yeah. pretty bad, so I don't know. And uh, notice if those are made-up names, they're using them, just the two of them. Like right. This would have been a good opportunity to say something like "still using our code names" or whatever. Yeah. Right, <laughs> right. But maybe they make it, they like maybe none of them really even know their real names. All they know are the code names or something. Well, that'd be cool. When I was reading, he's like, "I studied all this the cult stuff before. We're joining the SID, and I've just been looking for my chance to fuck you guys over and take over the world." I'm like, "Fuck this guy." Right. Yeah. But and you know what else? This is one of those times where I wish Mark had taken all the pages and laid them out for us. Because they're going back and forth from what I would call like the real world colors from the Hellboy battle. Yeah. And then and then the golden pages and then these kind of teal blue pages. It's really cool. Yeah, that's what I was and that's what I noticed is like almost every page is cutting back to the other action. And so and they do this really great thing where they almost leave you on these mini cliffhangers like child goes, yeah. oh, I should have suspected it was you, but we don't see who he sees. And then the horse thing raises its sword over Archie, but we don't see if he gets him. And then we cut back. You know what I mean? And it's kind of like leaving us on these little mini um, suspense moments while we cut between the three different points of view, which is just a it, it, it made um, going through this story a lot of fun. 
Back with Hellboy and Archie. We have a sacred charge, and we will not be deterred, Horseface says, swinging and missing Hellboy with the hook sword. And again, we talk about the choreography. I talked about that a little bit with Paulo Rivera. I really like the work done here, too. And again, Oxface is about to get Archie, and Hellboy comes in and blocks it with the right hand of doom. There's a nice clang there in this orange panel. It's just a really great image. Yeah, all the body language is appropriate. Everyone is, it's very dynamic. Everyone's moving yeah. the way that you would expect their bodies to be moving. I'll be a, a bit exaggerated, obviously, but it's a comic book, so, you know. Right. But it's, it's exaggerated in a way that still, like, makes sense. You can tell what everyone is doing. Yeah. That's, I like that. Yes. And at the bottom panel, you know, Hellboy's like, you try to hang back and I'll try to. And then he's like, what? And then we kind of see, it looks like Ox Head is, like, now facing away from them. Like, it's turned around or something. Again, that's kind of like one of those mini, what's happening here? Back with Zhang and Bao Zhi, he tells her that China's new government was persecuting and closing in on secret societies and religious sects. They were also seizing all the occult items and storing them at a secret facility in Chengdu. So where have we heard that before? Has that ring any bells for anybody? So remember in Johan's origin... He's out of his body doing some sort of seance. Oh, oh, yeah. And somebody opens oh, yeah. somebody opens a relic in Chengdu and it causes this effect where everybody gets electrocuted and Johan, that's how he got separated from his body. Oh man, that is wow. Okay. <laughs> that feels so like original to this story. Yeah. Wow, okay. Man, you know what? I don't think I've read that or Johan's origin. I'm going to say in like 10 years. Yeah, they. I mean... Maybe longer. It, it's a very small detail, but I always remember that name. And so I don't think it's this same relic. It's not this same spirit jar. It's like something with a little head. They show it. It's like a little statue of somebody. Uh, I'm just going to say there are very few people that would have just remembered that based on the <laughs> name alone. Yeah. I could probably, I could, I could count those people on my hand and not get the five. Well, that's what happens when you do a Hellboy podcast every week. <laughs> you just right. start to remember these things. Um, <laughs> we get another really cool panel of Bao Zhi, this time with the golden crane over his face too. Um, and again, they line up the eye of the crane with his eye, which I, I just really appreciate the artistic effort there. In order to keep the golden crane item safe. Bao Zhi was charged to take the Hun Ping out of the chairman's reach and keep it safe. Over with Child and Thomas, Child asks what makes this Hung Ping so special. Thomas says it was designed to contain multiple souls. It acts as an occult battery, providing power to whoever possesses it. Thomas is trying to charge it up to its full potential. Child asks about Horseface and Oxhead, but Thomas says he isn't worried about them. He's been able to keep them at bay with a minimal amount of energy. Once he is at full capacity, he'll be so powerful, he'll be able to deal with them himself. This page seems just a little too explainy for me. Well, yeah, this is where he it's has to... It's just a wall of... Te it's just like, a, like, can you show me instead of telling me all this? Well, I think this is the stereotypical, I'm the bad guy and I I'm going to tell that. you my whole no, plan. No, I get it, but it's like, I don't know. Yeah. It could have been streamlined a little bit I, better, well, I guess. Well, and I'm not... This is not like criticism. I've never written or drawn or published a comic or a graphic novel or anything like that. Like, I don't, I don't publish sequential art on the regular, so who am I to criticize or critique or whatever? But right. I feel like... I personally, I guess I have a preference, mm -hmm. and it's okay to have a preference. You can, you know, 
I'm more used to like Mike Mignola's style of like everything is very kind of right minimal. Y- He'll let you figure that shit out. You can put it together. Sure. It's not hard. So, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think in a traditional Hellboy story, it's like Hellboy takes the spotlight every time. And this feels more yeah. like research-based writing. But sure. But let me address, because you've said this before recently, Danielle. So, let me just clear this I'm not up, trying okay? to, I'm not trying. I'm not trying to compare this, you know, nope, this team I'm, to I'm that talking, team or anything like that. I'm talking about... I'm talking about how you aren't sure if you're allowed to critique this stuff because you don't make this stuff. Let me let me just explain it in a way that Kurt Busiek explained it. You guys know who he is? Yes. Comic book writer Kurt Busiek of Astro City, Conan, all kinds of stuff. Oh, yeah. Marvels yeah. is one of my favorite things of all time. Yeah, right. This isn't an exact quote, but the essence of it is the experience that happens between the comic book creator and the page is different and the experience that happens between the page and the reader. Sure. Now, part of that is because the comic book creator already knows how it ends, right? <laughs> yeah. So the reader doesn't. So that that's a big difference right there. But they don't know how it's going to be interpreted by the reader. And so part of that interpretation is a critique. It just has to be. It's, right. it's whether you appreciate the flavor or not, whether it's your particular sure, yeah. uh, uh, thing. But... After you've read a certain amount of comic books, you cannot help but have a critique of it. And that, that isn't like a negative thing or not. Sure. So when you, so when you say, or when anyone says, I don't know who, who am I to critique this thing? Like I even say that, right? Well, I suppose what I'm really trying to say is I don't want to sound like I'm trying to trash this person's work because a team of people worked really hard on this and they you know they enjoyed themselves working on i know what it's like to make something and enjoy yourself while you're making it and be proud of the thing that you made so i don't want to come across as just like complaining about this and like this thing that took so long for these people to do and it took so long for them to gain the skills that it took for them to get to this point i don't want to just be like eh it's a little bit blah you know like i don't i don't want to sound like a negative asshole about it so i'm trying to kind of balance but there's 90-some episodes of you reading Hellboy books <laughs> sure. that already prove right. you're not coming from that point of view. So well, just you're in case totally any of the allowed. people that worked on this are listening to this, I just I guess I don't want them to be like, God, what a fucking asshole. <laughs> you know, like, what the shit? So well, I, I'm trying uh, to be, I'm trying to be more even-handed with exist. it. Sure, yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, Danielle, to, to your point, I, I remember uh, back when I was uh, dropping out of art school, um, I had this one teacher, and he and he was just like, you know, he was like, if you don't like something, you don't like something, but don't just say something sucks. Right, right, right. That that's just that's not critiquing. Sure, if sure. You say, if you say you don't, if you don't like something, don't say it sucks. Explain why you don't like it. So I feel like you are explaining that you think that this is unnecessary to go this way, and you're giving your opinion and you're giving it thought out. Right. Uh, example. So. I feel like you're 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 explaining things perfectly right. I mean, you're not saying this sucks. No, yeah, this, this stuff, the content yeah. is interesting and cool. It but sort no, of I mean, slows the action down. There's all this actiony shit happening, and it's kind of like they're sort of going on for a while. <laughs> I don't know if they I mean, would really be talking like this, but okay. See, no, I mean, and and, yeah. and like Matt, we, we've done ninety plus episodes of this comics. You have. You know, you, you know what you know what works and doesn't. Sure, and this is yeah, great. Many, I'm not trying to pick how it many, apart. This is how many single issues of Hellboy have 
have we done on the podcast? Right. God, I don't even Does know. Does anybody know? I'll figure that out. We've got our 100th episode oh, coming uh, up yeah. soon, so I'll, I'll figure that because, out. That'll be a fun little thing. Because at this point, in that context, I think it is vital that we point <laughs> things out like this. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, like, hey, wait a minute, this is different. Right. Is this an evolution? Is it a change? Sure. Is it good? Is it bad? Is it positive or whatever? I, I think all that I stuff is I'm, on the table. I'm just hesitating to put it under a microscope only because I don't I don't want any creator to listen to me and think, what a fucking bitch. You know, like, <laughs> I don't, I, you know, I don't want to come across as that. So I guess I, I put those disclaimers out there just so that I'm not coming across as yeah. too harsh or anything like that. Yeah, and I mean, all you're really saying is that it's a little wordy. It's a I little bit. I don't, I don't think that that's uh, yeah. too harsh of a sure. critique there. It's a little there. bit like, okay, come on, well, this, please get to the point sometime soon. Oh, it makes you it makes me wonder. Okay, so is Mike doing the outline and Chris doing the scripts? Or how yeah, does, how I, I think so, yeah. Um, also... Aubrey drops out of art school. I'm going to put a pin in that because that sounds like a very interesting part of Aubrey's story to me. <laughs> we'll have to talk about and that like, another time. Yeah. He's like, oh, and then I was a lumberjack for a while and then I took up <laughs> surfing and I was a folk singer. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> awesome. No, no. I was a karaoke singer. <laughs> no, oh, right on. Even and, better. And then he had a, and then he had a bean podcast. <laughs> Before podcast, if you can see the day. look I'm giving John right now, it's a very specific look. Um, but on this page, one thing that I do like is there's a transition from them being in this kind of teal greenlit hallway to them going outside. Um, so there's the kind of like right. a setting change there too. Back with moon, yeah, I love that. That's some great work. Yeah, it's called Ghost Moon, right? Back with Archie and Hellboy. They're surprised that Horseface and Oxhead have turned away from them. That was kind of at the end of that last panel. Maybe we were between them and whatever they're after, Hellboy says. And they're kind of screaming up to the building now. Return them. Return them at once. I guess up there on the roof where Thomas is. Back with Zhang, Baoji tells her that the Hunping was used to trap demons and ghosts by the Golden Crane Society. If it fell into the wrong hands, it would be disastrous. Zhang asks about the horse and ox monsters, and Baoji tells her they're servants of the Demon King. One of their jobs is to fetch spirits gone astray. The white sorcerer is using the Hun Ping to steal souls, including the spirits of the dead who have come to the city during the Ghost Moon to seek food and entertainment. Those spirits should by now have returned to their rightful places in the afterlife, and Oxhead and Horseface have come to retrieve them. So that's why they're there. And we get kind of like a nice image of them guarding, I guess, the, the gates of hell. Child follows Thomas out onto the roof, and he tells Thomas he'll never get away with it. Thomas says Child and Marjorie, along with everyone else, thinks too small. After all they've seen, only he has the vision and the will to do what must be done. I think there's a part where he even asks him, like, what are you going to even do with all this power? And he's like, I haven't figured that out yet, but when I get to full capacity, I'm going to be awesome, or something like that. And Thomas says if Child pledges to serve him, he'll be spared. Right then, that's enough of that. And Child shoots at Thomas. But then, as we turn the page, we see that Thomas generates this green force field. If I can keep two demons at bay, do you really think I'd allow bullets to harm me, he says? He tells Child he is beyond him. Why do you think I dedicated my life to the supernatural? The power, of course. And he conjures up like this whirlwind, I don't know, some sort of like circular trap 
that engulfs Childs. Zhang and Bao Ji make it upstairs, and when they see what's happening, they see that Thomas is there and he's taking Childs. Bao Ji runs and tackles Thomas, and Childs falls, freed from that tornado energy thing. Zhang runs over, and she checks on Child, and then runs for the spirit jar, and she touches it, right? We get this horrific double splash page here, and so I was thinking this might be Du. This is the realm of the dead or hell in Chinese mythology. It is loosely based on a combination of the concept of Naraka, traditional Chinese beliefs about the afterlife, and a variety of popular expansions and reinterpretations of these two traditions. Du is typically depicted as a subterranean maze with various levels and chambers to which souls are taken after death to atone for the sins they committed when they were alive. Each court deals with a different aspect of atonement and different punishments. Most legends claim that sinners are subjected to gruesome tortures until their deaths, in quotations, after which they are restored to their original state for the torture to be repeated. And here we see all these people being tortured by these monsters. This one dude's cleaving people, and this guy's like roasting them over a fire and stuff. It's really gruesome. And then in the background, we just see the shocked eyes of Zhang kind of witnessing all this. I was like, he sees a lot of horrible stuff. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You think about that, like. Feels bad, man. I I think you mentioned Danielle on the last episode. Like, you you imagine her touching things like it could shock you. Yeah. Like, has it, like, tentatively touching things? uh, Like, no. You never know if you're going to get something like this. Right, exactly. Because she's seen so many horrible things at this point. You're absolutely right, Matt. When she snaps out of it, I know what to do, she says. And so she starts running off with the Hun Ping. But Thomas calls her to stop. If it leaves the protective circle, there'll be nothing to keep the demons outside at bay. Hey, Hellboy, catch! And she tosses it down to Hellboy. And I think this is kind of a funny panel because... Thomas has been all, only I have the vision, but this panel, like, really reduces him. He yeah. looks like such a fucking nerd in that panel. And then we it's just very get... very Brian Cranston-esque here. Kind of, yeah. Panel, it is yeah. a Brian Cranston-esque. But and she, so she says, catch. Lovely negative space around That's what I was going to say. Yeah. It really, like, I almost see it, like, in slow motion. You see it, like, falling it's through the air. It's a fantastic yeah. way to do that. It's Absolutely. really cool. It's really, really good. So he's like, oh, got it. He's catches it. And what are you, so what are you supposed to do? Just smash it quick. Why did I have to yeah, catch he's, it? Yeah, he's like, like why wait, did I have to catch it? What was that even for? That is a great gag. Yeah. I like that. Never mind. Yeah, is it like only he could smash it? And that's why he had to catch it? I wonder like it if it broken otherwise. It made me think like it had to do something with the right hand of Noom. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Because it's like, like if like it a, had just fallen, it wouldn't have. But wouldn't Smash. they have mentioned that? Like they've have been so the they've been so explainy before. Yeah. Why wouldn't it be, and only Hellboy can smash it? Like. Uh, well, I feel like his hand is a relic too. Oh, okay. Or whatever. So and I don't those know. demons are right there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know what? Because okay, so it, I I think it does make sense. This is great. This is going to come through with the storytelling. So Hellboy smashes it, and then we see this giant green plume of all these spirits coming through. That's so well done. Yeah, and we see horse face and ox head. They kind of raise their hook swords, and I guess they're getting the ones that need to go back into the afterlife. Those of you who have already passed beyond your veil. Your presence is required at the court of the Demon King. I just imagine those all those spirits going, ah, oh, dang it, we got to go get tortured again. Right. <laughs> we were out here partying for a couple days, oh. and now we got to go back and get 
roast it over the fire some more. The rest of you return uh, to your mortal shells until it's your time to be judged. So, like, all of the ones that they are getting are going to No, hell, because um, what's-his-name Thomas had also gotten the spirits from uh, all these refugees that were out there. Right. So it was, like, intermixed with... Yeah, it seems so, like... So I wonder if in there the spirits were like, hey, you better be good because you're going to be, like, uh, roasted over the fire and cleaved in half and then put back together to be cleaved in half again. Yikes. <laughs> Big yikes. I like the movement of the plume of souls. Yeah. It's looking good. It's really impressive when they're able to convey something like that. Like, even that, yeah. there was that weird tale where Johan was just ectoplasm, but they still made it look like right. he had a head and arms and if stuff. Someone so. told me, can you draw a big old plume of souls escaping a vessel? I'd be like, what the, how the fuck am I supposed to draw? It just looks like a big yeah. shape, but when you zoom in, you can see all the different hands. Well, but and... it looks like it's moving. Yeah. It looks like there's movement there. Yeah. Back in just a second. I like how when they uh, Octet and Horseface, you know, they use their swords and they hook into yeah. the spot of souls, and so it's like you know they're holding them down to where they're supposed to be, so they can't escape to wherever. And then the people who are not dead, dead, get to go back to their bodies, but they get to hold on to the rest of them. Right, and right. I like, I like, I like that. It's like that's why they have a hook. On their sword. Yeah. But, but the ones that they're the ones that they're holding on to were already Yes. They were already dead. Okay. Yeah. In the aftermath, Zhang holds the injured but still alive Bao Ji, and Thomas is still crackling with some lightning energy. He says they all could have served him and have every desire fulfilled. That kind of reminds me of the vote for Pedro speech. What does he oh, say no. when he goes up there? He's like I'll make your wildest dreams come true. Yeah. <laughs> All your wildest dreams will come true. Yeah. If you vote for me, all of your wildest dreams will come true. My only desire is for you to shut the hell up. Yeah, and Child shoots, he blows his head off. Right in the head. Yeah. In Holy the shit. Face. He's not fucking around. Yeah. Well, let him stick around. He's already proved that he wants to betray them all and try to take over the world. Right, right. I didn't snuff that cloud right out. But he didn't really kill anybody, did he? Did he kill anybody? I mean, he was fucking around. Oh well, this, souls. well, this guy's gonna die. Uh, Bao Ji, spoiler, he's about to die. It looks like so. Well, and had, had he succeeded, everybody in that town would have been dead. Yeah, you're yeah, right. You he betrayed are... his country. Right. That, that's enough in the fifties, right? Sure, sure. I guess. <laughs> so then uh, they're like, "Is everything over?" I guess so. Hellboy says, and then Horseface and Oxhead come over and they bow to Hellboy and they say, "Our thanks, cousin. The Demon King will remember the service you have done." Great. Your own will know you. Gah! Hellboy responds. Yeah, damn. But I think that that's why she told Hellboy to break it. Because then these two will be like, oh, you you helped. You're our cousin. She wanted Oxhead and Horseface to see Hellboy break the thing. Why? Because then they come over and they, they, say, they, wanted. they say it's cool. Oh, so they're like, chill with it. Like, that would wrap it. it up nicely. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. No, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're chill with it she knew, because he did it. She knew that if he did it... It would be okay. It would probably be okay. Oh, I think like that that's breaking what that the thing, okay. Breaking the thing only solves part of the problem. Hellboy breaking it solves all of the problems. Yes. Right, because he says the Demon King will remember the service you have done. But why wouldn't they thank her? If it was a good thing that happened. I don't know. I mean, she just observed that they called him cousin. And then she had that vision of all the demons. Right. And I guess she's like, let the demon do it. Okay. It'll be all right then. All right. Well. What the heck was that about? Arch, I haven't got the first clue, Hellboy says. And then there's a beat. You hungry? 
I could eat, Archie yeah. says. Yeah. Uh, those are my favorite two panels. <laughs> yeah, those are great. We even get those little, like, kind of sparkle things in the background, you know, like, oh, yeah. sometimes we get those little effects. It's shawarma time. Yeah. <laughs> so we cut to Zhang, and she's holding Bao Ji, and he's dying, but with his dying breath, he's like, there's something I must tell you. He whispers something in her ear, her eyes go wide, and then he dies. Important backstory. Let's find out. Yeah, we're going to find out what that is. She's part of the Golden Crane. There you go. And then we see all the refugees. They're waking up. They're all okay. We cut to them getting ready to depart. They're talking to Roland Child. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just not buying it. You jokers just happened to find out about some mystical artifact that was being smuggled across the border, Hellboy asks him. And just what kind of business is the Sino-British importation and distribution anyway? Well, the SID has fingers stuck in all manner of pies, Child says. We work a pretty broad patch, I guess you could say. That's the story you're sticking with? Nothing to add, Hellboy asks? Only that you have Her Majesty's thanks for your assistance in this matter, I'm sure, Child says. Be seeing you. Be seeing you. Do you know who that is? So, did you ever watch The Prisoner? No. British television show from I, the I know 60s? of it. I, I know of it, and I know a lot of the history about it, but I've never actually seen it. That was a famous line. From be seeing you because, well, you're a prisoner, so yeah, you will. But uh, that came out after this. Oh, so, okay. Anyway, that's what it made me think of. I like that. Be seeing you. And uh, then it's that all white panel again with just him, so I thought there was some focus. Right, definitely. Yeah. And as Chad walks away, Hellboy says, The whole thing seems fishy to me. He tells Zhang, The professor says that Lady Cynthia is some kind of psychic, so what's her part in all this? If you ask me, who cares, Archie says. We did what the professor asked, right? So we're done. Let's get the hell out of here already. And as they walk to the plane, Hellboy asks Sue if she's okay. I know you keep saying that you're fine, but there's just some old family business that I need to deal with back home, she says. Eventually, at least. For this last page, we cut over to the headquarters of the Special Intelligence Doctorate, Disused Tower of London, Underground Station, England, September 1954, and we see they have their kind of like whole setup in there, we see they have like a map of the world, and then there's this weird triangle symbol, and I kind of zoomed in on that, oh, we also see it in the next panel too, but it looks like Excalibur. It's a sword Excalibur. and an anvil, yeah. Yeah, it kind of looks like the sword in the stone or something like that, is that what that's supposed to mean? Is that a reference to Excalibur? I mean, it's not unlike the BPRD logo. Yeah. I was thinking it was kind of like a like a stylized excalibur it's like a sword and an anvil kind of thing yeah but like you know how there's that unexplained triangle on the bprd logo oh yeah yeah there is a triangle there okay they they never really explain any of that stuff and believe me i've asked (laughs) (laughs) but it's like the sword is in here and then in the bprd logo the hand has the sword so it's almost like they go together somehow or anyway that's really interesting yeah let us know what you think about that logo there We see this people, they're at uh, some sort of briefing. We see Lady Cynthia there, too. That was an end to it, this guy says. The Yanks went back home. I saw to it that Agent Rhyme's remains were safely disposed of, and we closed the books on the whole matter. By the time I was out of the hospital, Agent Shout had completed the entire affair. Oh, so I guess that's uh, Marjorie. Well, I'm pleased that you made a full recovery, Agent Daw, but our American cousins gave no indication that they understood the state of the field of play, or indeed the true nature of the SID. No, Lady Cynthia. They were useful in a tussle, but virtually clueless otherwise. So that's child right there, right? Lady Cynthia says good, because the stakes are about to get even higher. 
D, if you wouldn't mind. And so this old guy comes up. I guess he's D. He says, these are surveillance photos provided by our man in Copenhagen. Looks like the Reds have let Rahel Rabain and Valentin Moravec off their leashes. We need to find out what they're up to before it's too late. And so we saw Moravec and Rebane in Beyond the Fences. They were introduced there. And there was a tease there that um, we were going to see that little trap from the alien. And we were going to see Hellboy fight this guy. So I guess this is kind of going all along with that. Yeah. So what do you think of that ending? So we, uh, you kind of brought this up a little bit earlier, Matt. But so Lady Cynthia is a psychic and they happen to find this relic that was all this stuff. So, I mean, obviously that we're kind of getting from this last panel that that was the whole plan all along, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, so was she using B- the BPRD then? She was like, oh, by the way, I need you to do this thing that I already know about, but I'm not going to tell you guys about. Well, yeah. And then why is, why is child play it off like they weren't all that useful? when they were instrumental that's right yeah like all he did was blow the guy's head off right <laughs> after they did all the and work. not get killed yeah i mean he stayed alive but maybe he was talking about how like he got all that information from uh the glowy dude all he saw was hellboy and them smash the urn he's like oh well you know they kind of saw the problem but i got the information right like yeah, I think he's trying to take credit, but yeah, it's an interesting story. And and you know, like we were saying all while we were reading it, that it's an interestingly told story. Yeah, you know, and and there's it's dynamic, but then on the other hand, does it need to be at times? It definitely feels like there's you know a bigger plot underway here. Like well, it's not just here's two two issues of comic book. Right, you know? right. They are building towards something else. There's kind of, you see that overarching storytelling like we've seen in so many of the other series. And the character building is there too, you know? Oh, yeah. They're really letting us know that Susan Jang is going to have a major role to play. Awesome. And for our next story, we're going to talk about... Who the hell is Lady Cynthia? A Brief History. This is a two-page comic published in Hellboy and the BPRD 1954 Ghost Moon issue 2 in April 2017. Story, art, colors, and letters by The Letter Hack. Matt, the Longmont kid is back. Strackbine. Ah! <laughs> so not, not to correct you right off the bat, but I'm going to correct you. It's a very... <laughs> brief history oh a very brief history thank you for that because because she had a very brief (laughs) moment at the beginning of the hellboy story and then nothing until right now exactly yeah so i thought that was so funny i love the title too so how did this one come about Uh, my understanding is you know scott and company wanted to bring Lady Cynthia... I think it was probably Chris Robertson who wanted to bring Lady Cynthia back into the mix. Scott wanted to refresh readers on who she was at the end of this arc, but it made sense to be one of my comics because we could joke about how no one knows who she is. (laughs) And that that might not even be true, but after her, her introduction, you don't get a lot of Cynthia. So Right, but even the people we who could, know who she fun. is can join in on the fun and be like, right. yeah, she's yeah. obscure, you know? Yeah. And so there's, you know, that's a running gag sure, here yeah. in this one. I like how she's kind of a Mary Poppins, but kind of a Superman. Yeah. Also, <laughs> yeah. it's great. Yeah. Oh, it's so, super funny. I, I, was actually, I was thinking Peter Pan. It's right. a good gag, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I really did 
build the Mary Poppins thing into it. Right. Because I was like, that's such a stereotype. She's a Mary Poppins, but then she's doing like the Superman pose. Right. Which is good. Yeah, it's (laughs) this is possibly just the letter hack having a dream. It's good. Right, yeah. Now I like Which how you're is also all, like a running gag. You're asleep with your Hellboy comics here. Yeah, again, Matt always incorporates I, the covers yeah, there. That's cute. I love the t shirt with the, the flame and the, the no on yes, it. Yes, no, yeah. no black flame. It's got that Ghostbusters symbol kind of like that crossing out the black flame. Yeah. It's the anti black flame. Anti black flame shirt. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and so we see Matt asleep. He's got his trade paperbacks for Hellboy Seed of Destruction, Wake the Devil, and BPRD the Soul of Venice around him. <laughs> he fell asleep reading those. That's great. And he hears a voice. Wake up, boy. I summon you from beyond the veil. And Matt wakes up. What? A ghost? Make haste. We must be off to England. <laughs> Whoa, who are you? Matt says as he flies through the air. So, as you just pointed out, he fell asleep reading Seed of Destruction, oh, but yeah. he doesn't know who she is. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. So that's the that's, that's the, the first. gag, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's a little Easter egg for the readers because, like I always say with these, I'm writing these for us, yeah, right, yeah. not for, sure. for me, and not to be like I wrote a Hellboy story. It's for the readers, so it's from our perspective. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and these books will do that to you. Like you'll get to the end of the book and forget the beginning. Right. Because right. they yeah. just set up so much more stuff for you to think about right at the end, you know, and you're like, wait a minute, what about his right hand? You know, and then you just forget everything from the first couple of pages. So there's a subtle gag that he forgot who she was, even though he was just right. literally just <laughs> reading about her. So when I pitched this, remember earlier I was saying that I always pitched this stuff to Scott, like, uh, what if this happens? And he's like, OK, that sounds good. So that my pitches are very short and sweet. Right. But he said, right, she's a ghost. But how, how's the reader going to know she's a ghost? And I said, no problem. When she shows up, we'll have Matt wake up and yell, <laughs> a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> problem solved. And he was like, okay, that'll work. <laughs> yeah. She goes flying through the air with Matt. He's got his no black flame shirt and his white and blue striped pajama bottoms there. <laughs> <laughs> Fear not, she says. I sense you have a great knowledge of Project Ragnarok and the events in East Bromwich. Duh, Matt says. Of course, I'm a huge nerd. (laughs) Then you must know me, Lady Cynthia Eden-Jones. Ah, our first stop, East Bromwich. And Matt's like, Lady who? This is a good, I like this, uh, the depiction of of this here. Right, it's great. I may not be as big of a nerd as I thought. I think that is a wasted panel close-up of matt the uh. character but <laughs> I, w- I love showing that he's basically yelling whenever he talks right <laughs> like the mouth is like in this one in particular he's like sometimes he he gets like kind of serious but he's always like talking at top volume <laughs> i don't know why i thought that was important to show yeah it's kind it's of like good. a monty python type thing right and so we get this great panel um recreation of Hellboy appearing on Earth. I really like how you did that, Matt. And we get these kind of word boxes. Just a really fun panel layout here because we get these like back and forth between Matt and Lady Cynthia. And then their little faces are depicted next to the text boxes. That's great. Okay, just a couple of quick things here. This page reflects page five, Seed of Destruction. It's the same layout, basically, right? 
like in Seed of Destruction, there are two locations. There's where Rasputin is, and then there's where the actual incident occurred. And so I thought it'd be cool to do like a split screen. So that first tall panel is Rasputin's panel in the first volume. Okay. But here I put Hellboy on there. So I uh, thought that'd be cool. Yeah. Right? So like a, a side-by-side comparison would reveal that a little more. Okay, so here's another Easter egg. Floating heads is like a thing in Hellboy. Remember when he was in Japan? Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted, so when I pitched the idea of the caption boxes, I said there'll be different colors, but I also want to do small floating heads. And I like referenced that other Hellboy story in my script. And I made sure to note that Lady Cynthia's expression wouldn't change. See how Matt's expression changes a little bit? Right, yeah. <laughs> and hers doesn't because she's basically just rambling. Right. <laughs> There's got to be a reason for a ghost, right? Like, we don't all die and become ghosts. Sure. Like, only ghosts have to have some sort of a purpose. And in this case, she was worried about her seemingly incomplete mission, but also... She's probably a little bitter about the fact that nobody remembers right. her or she's not a main part of the story. Yeah. So she she tends to just kind of like ramble on. I, I love some of these back and forth because she's like, I was once a famous clairvoyant, formerly in service to the British Paranormal Society. Famous, huh, Matt says. Not very memorable. She says, December 23rd, 1944, in the company of U.S. Sergeant George Whitman, along with soon-to-be expat Trevor Broom, the professor rules, Matt says. <laughs> Alas, he was too good for us to stick around after the incident. I kept tabs on occult goings-on over here while Trevor gallivanted around the states and the globe. Good to know you aren't bitter about that, Matt says. <laughs> I used my powers to lead us to East Bromwich, and here, into the world, twas delivered a boy. Hellboy. You really don't know who I am? She asks again. <laughs> I remember Scott made a note that he was surprised nobody had used the term expat yeah. in describing Broom before. That's right, yeah. And This panel is super cute. Yeah. He's holding little baby Hellboy. And Hellboy's like still like flaming or there's still like, yeah. you know, a uh, fire coming off of him. I detected a second center to the north, Lady Cynthia says. You have to reopen the case. I assure you, there's more to this story. And then so Matt, now he's got Hellboy on his back or something, and and he says, The Hellboy incident has been fully investigated, Lady C. Um, where should I begin? This guy raising hell up north was Rasputin. Later, Hellboy freaking died. Then one of the Audra Jihad came to Earth. Honestly, you may be better off dead. And then he gets like choked by the Hellboy there with the right hand to do my love. He's like, ah, why do I waste my time with the living? Cynthia says, and she kind of gives Matt the hand there. I really like that. So Scott drew that hand over top of my rough sketches. Wow. Oh, wow. Okay. He was like, have her do this. And he like drew that gesture. And I was like, oh, that's perfect. <laughs> yeah, that's so, uh, this is really good. And when Matt is, informing lady cynthia of all the project ragnarok stuff there's the little head of matt and then there's a little head of hellboy <laughs> next to him because he was on your back i thought that was such a cute detail right there just on that one, nice. there's a little hellboy head it's cute i thought that was a nice touch yeah it's just like the gag continues okay well we gotta evolve it a right. little bit right but <laughs> but so here's where man i really i froze up in writing this Matt giving Hellboy a piggyback ride. Right. <laughs> I've probably said this before somewhere else, but that no one was going to let me do that. Right. Right. 
Like, that was just a step too far into corny. I needed some humor going in the background because there's just basically just a bunch of talking. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, they're in the ruins here of Bromwich, and that's not any more interesting than seeing it one time, right? So what am I going to do? <laughs> so I wrote, I rewrote this several times. There were multiple drafts. But every time, it just kind of came down to Hellboy standing there or messing with some. It was dumb. Right. right? Okay. You got to have, you got to give baby Hellboy something to do. Yeah. So I was like stuck on my first idea. It, it's one of those times where you, your first idea is the only one you want to try. Right. Mm. But I knew I needed to have like an arsenal of other ideas or drafts as a backup because I was sure they were going to be like, don't do that. And then I could say, well, look, I tried these other things and they're not as good, you know? Right. But no, but nobody said anything. <laughs> like nobody even said if it was funny or not. They just sort of, no one said anything. Right. Yeah. So, I, so then I did the roughs and then I did the pencils and the inks and the colors. And I kept waiting for somebody to say anything, but they never did. And I was like, hey, no news is good news. Yeah, for real. I, I definitely don't need a compliment. You know, just let me do it and don't say not to. <laughs> but then I, I got choked by the right hand of doom. I know. That is so cool. I was actually going to say, I love uh, <laughs> I love your version of the right hand of doom. You do a good job with that. It's big and chunky. I always, yeah, I never wanted to draw Hellboy into these things because I felt like that was too easy. You know, it was like, oh, I get to draw Hellboy. So when I did, I I made it like uh, totally. I mean, I drew him one time with Mac playing with the ball. Yeah, you're right. That little that little uh, yeah small panel. I'm, I can't remember if I showed his face or not, but you knew it was him. Yeah. But then here, I was like, I'm just going full goofy now. <laughs> It's good. Going it's, all the way in the other direction. Yeah, it's really good. I love the progression of the of these three panels with Baby Hellboy and Matt. And then all of a sudden, Matt wakes up in his bed. Jeez, would have been easier to just lend her my copy of Wake the Devil. Oh, well. And so, <laughs> I love how your wife is there laying in the bed, or Matt's wife is right. there. In the side. He's, <laughs> there, he's there talking to himself with the comic book. <laughs> and notice how his mouth is wide open. Yeah. Like, he's going, would have been easier to just let him a copy of Wake the Devil. Oh, well. You know, he's just, like, an idiot. But, uh, but like, was that a dream? What was going on, right? And it, it's just, like, a gag that, because I really do read comic books before bed, and I always fall asleep and wake up with comic books on me. Right? That's, like, a, <laughs> that's a real thing. So I always try to build that in. But when I was trying to figure out what else to do besides give baby hellboy uh piggyback i asked my wife like several times like you know this over the course of like 48 hours or something i kept asking her for her opinion and she was like i have no idea what you're talking about much less whether or not it's appropriate <laughs> right so just let it go just do it or whatever so eventually i just said fuck it and sent it in but then um i said okay because in kill the black flame i drew her asleep in bed too Oh, yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay, well, you gave me the courage to just kind of throw my hands up and send it in, so I'll put you in the comic. Because, honestly, she's not like, let me see, let me see. Right. You know? <laughs> she's real cool about giving me distance when it comes to art and stuff. So when I circled back and showed it to her, she's like, oh, I'm asleep again. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's funny. That's great. That's awesome. Well, and we'll have to talk about that again when we get to your fourth comic. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that, that was the coolest thing was I was researching Ghost Moon for this episode. And I, I was on the Hellboy Wiki and I realized that Mark put me in as an entry in the Hellboy Wiki. Yeah, you were telling me about that. And I think even in your entry, it says that you're a host, co-host on the podcast. It's yeah, a so Trackbine is a frequent guest on the Hellboy Book Club podcast. Yeah, so we're yeah. in the wiki too. too. So that's cool. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about nerds. I thought that was pretty awesome. I saw that. That was great. Yeah. This was, I had a bunch of stupid like British slang that I built in. And oh, Scott really? was like, nah, take all that ah. out. Oh, okay. Okay. Like, I had her say blimey at one point. Oh, he was okay. like, nah, it's dumb. <laughs> and I was like, oh, it is dumb. I was just trying to be funny. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> yeah, I really enjoy whenever we get your comics on one yeah, of the stories great. that we're discussing. So I'm gl- so glad you could be on the episode to go through that one because uh, that's a really fun one. And I just love the interaction between Lady Cynthia and Matt, the Matt character. So that's really great. Yeah, and it was a uh, Craig McKnight auction that second page off, so that was good. It's gone to a good cause. Yeah, and that's your page with oh, Hellboy nice. on it too. So that's a good page yeah. to have. All right, and for our last story today, we're going to be talking about Hellboy and the BPRD, The Mirror. This was a short story published in Dark Horse Free Comic Book Day issue in May of 2016. It was featured along other short stories for Serenity and Aliens. This story is written by Mignola and art by Richard Corbin. We haven't seen Corbin's art in a while. He's done a ton of short stories for Mignola and for Hellboy in the past. Macoma, The Crooked Man, The Bride of Hell, Hellboy in Mexico, Double Feature of Evil, Being Human, and House of the Living Dead. Colors by Dave Stewart and letters by Clem Robbins. For all the work that he's done on Hellboy, this is my favorite art-wise. This is my favorite yet. Yeah, this is a really good one. This is a really creepy one, too. And I think this is the last one that he's done so far. Uh, He was doing a lot of his own stories at the time. Rat God and, you know, he's putting out his own comics. And I think maybe he was just like in a groove or something. Yeah, yeah. This one, this stands out to me. We open at the BPRD headquarters in 1954. And Broom is on the phone with Agent Harden. I don't think we've met this agent yet. What do you mean he's wandered off, he tells him. Hardin says when they finished up their thing with the Dulo sisters. So yeah, he mentions the Dulo sisters, and I was like, I know that that name has been mentioned before. Do you know what that's a re- where we've seen that name before? Was it a vampire? No, it was uh, the guy that Hellboy helps in the Three Gold Whips. His name is James Dulo. Oh, right. Yeah, and so I wonder if that has any kind of, um, any significance with this uh, Delo sisters. Anyway. Had that come out? 2016. I don't know if that had come out. But it, but this story is written by Mignola. He doesn't have any co-writers, so I don't know. I have to say that that's more yeah. than a coincidence. Yeah. When they got up in the morning after their mission, Hellboy was gone. Hardin says Hellboy must have learned how to turn off his tracking beacon. So again, he's like eight, and they're like, oh, he must have figured out how to turn the thing off. We can Now we can't find him. He left a note saying he was going to go look for a haunted mirror. The mirror of St. Boget. St. Boget, a little village, Broom says. It shouldn't be far from where you are now, but you might have to look it up on an old map. I'm not actually sure that place exists anymore. Haunted mirror, one of the agents asks in the office with Broom. You know, I've tried teaching him classic Greek mythology, Broom says, for years. And he still can't tell the difference between Pluto and Poseidon, but this he remembers. 
I told him the story when he was just a boy, that hundreds of years ago, in a place called St. Bougeot, there was a rich man who had one daughter. She was the most precious thing in the world to him, and as she grew older, she became secretive, began to keep strange company. The father began to suspect she'd become a witch. And then we cut over to St. Boget somewhere in France. So I had to look for this, of course, and there isn't really a St. Boget, um, but I did get this from an article from the Encyclopedia of Witches, Witchcraft, and Wicca, written by Rosemary Gully. There's a Henry Boget. He was a French grand judge, lawyer, and demonologist, known for his cruelty and torture. Boget presided over witch trials in St. Claude, Burgundy, and France. Boget exhibited a precaution with lurid accounts of witches, sabbaths, and copulations with the devil. His interrogations focused on these aspects, and he was successful in coercing confessions from his victims. He did not hesitate to burn children, declaring that once they were contaminated by the devil, they could not be reformed. In 1598, Boget presided over a famous werewolf case. The Gandilian family said to shapeshift into howling ravenous wolves. Boget tortured them until they confessed to having sex with the devil. Three family members were convicted, hanged, and burned. Boget wrote a legal handbook on witchcraft, Discourse des Sorciers, I'm probably saying that wrong, in 1610, which rivaled the Malus Maleficarum in authority and popularity and went into 12 editions in 20 years. So this guy was a famous occultist and demonologist for a long time, and so maybe this Saint Boget is kind of named after him. And we see Hellboy walking into this place, and he's telling the story too. So there's kind of a nice transition there because Broom's telling it, and then it cuts over to Hellboy telling it. See their footprints going up the stairs? Yeah. And the art is really nice on this one. It, it really is. The father began to suspect she'd become a witch, so he offered to throw her a party for her and her friends. It's true, and so Hellboy's talking to this old lady who's guiding him in there. The party went on it's for hours. <laughs> yeah, it's true. That's one of those Mignolaisms, I guess. We get that in a lot of the Hellboy and Hell stories. The party went on for hours, till the father burst in with a local priest, and all the guests were revealed to be demons. And so, we get some nice flashback panels there, and we see the daughter with all her people having a party, and then I love that as they cut over, then we see that they're all, like, red-faced demons in the in the clothes of these, like, royalty or whatever. I like that, how they have, like, the... Aristocrats? There you go. They have, like, those powdered wigs and all that stuff as demons. Terrified, the demons grabbed up the girl and fled into the mirror. Then the priest blessed the mirror so that they were trapped in there forever. Jeez. You're sure you dare look into it, she asked Hellboy. The last to do that, well... And then we see just this pile of bones. I'm sure, Hellboy says. Some amazing setup here by Corbin, too. Like, this old room with all this kind of, like, yeah. tattered stuff and is just really well done. And even this old lady is super creepy. Hellboy looks into the mirror. I don't know, lady. Pretty much looks like a regular. You have to be patient, she says. And then so he keeps looking and he's like, oh. Yeah. Behind him he sees wow. the the princess or whatever. You see, still young, still beautiful, the old lady says. And so in the mirror reflection, she comes up behind Hellboy. And then all of a sudden, all the demons do too. And Hellboy's like, hey, what the... I warned you. And that lady is so creepy. The old lady is so creepy in that panel where she says, I warned you. I was like, ugh. Corbin does that a lot where just these characters are just so... They make your skin crawl. In the mirror, Hellboy's getting attacked by the princess 
and all the demons. As we turn the page here, there's like an awesome panel, or it's like a two-panel where it's like the reflection. And on one side, you can see all the demons are getting him, and on the other side, like his jacket and stuff is being pulled apart, but you can't really see. Yeah, that is so awesome. Just magnificent work by Corbin. This would be a page to to have, you know. Oh, totally agree. And the old woman... She's kind of, I like how she's got her hand over the flame. She's like, you tell me when you've seen enough. Like, she's going to turn out the light, you know, or she's ready to do that. It's the flame from the candle that turns the mirror on and off. Right, right. Because right, it's like so dark in there. I guess there's no electricity or whatever. And Hoa's just getting totally destroyed by these things. He's like bleeding all over and screaming. And as we turn the page, we just get some really gruesome work by Whoa. Corbin as all these demons are, like, biting into him and stuff. And it's, like, really up close and gnarly. Gross. Finally, Hellboy says, yeah, enough. Good. She covers the candle. And it's all kind of framed in this negative white space, which is just really interesting. It kind of really lends to that. It quickly shuts off the darkness or whatever. Holy crap, Hellboy says, in a pool of his own blood. Well, she asks, Hellboy, would-be man of the world... You've dared look, but have you learned anything? Hey, what the hell with you, lady, Hellboy says. Ah, no, I suppose not, she says. And as she says that, she turns into a harpy, or one of these kind of like, it reminds me of the ones that we saw in Wake the Devil. Sad that you might alter the direction of your life and spare yourself a world of pain, she says as she flies away. The end. And we just focus in on those pile of bones of whoever was last looking at the mirror. And that's it. Yeah. Wait, so what does that mean? Um, what, is, what does this story mean? I, I, I was thinking like he, she's trying to sway him from doing this, from being a paranormal investigator or from looking into these things. I don't know. What, is that the point of it? Because she's like, Has you, have you learned anything? I suppose not. Like, I thought maybe she was like, you should be the beast of the apocalypse, not man of the world. Oh, like maybe in that moment he should have... What's tempting about that mirror? Like he should rule those demons instead of being tortured by them? It's like eat or be eaten kind of a thing. Maybe, maybe. yeah, yeah. <clears throat> you could be torn apart or you could... Better to... What's the phrase? Better to be a ruler of hell than a servant in heaven or something like that? Sure, something... They Yeah, they do say stuff like that. See, I took it more so, as, but but I guess like we don't really know what side she's on or if there even are sides, which has always been like a blurry thing in this universe. But it almost seemed to me like she was saying, you don't want to look at this stuff. You think that you do. You think that you want to investigate all these weird things, but you really don't. Because so it's she's just saying gonna, leave it alone altogether. You're, you're, you're just going to enter a world of pain. This whole thing with your destiny and all this stuff is what's going to happen as a result of this and so you shouldn't be looking for these things is how i took that but yeah i don't know that's probably it i don't know man well, there's, this you, is a weird one and, when you and engage maybe, with this kind of thing this is what's going to happen hmm. so maybe you should, are better off just not so it's one of these things where she's like ah you stay out of all of it and he's just like obviously chooses not to I stay think... out of it because you can't that would make make him hmm. the bad guy you know, know what i mean yeah. that would make him one of the bad guys if he just tried to ignore it you can't ignore it it exists yeah. i think that's it so once I, he I sees that it, it exists it's, he can't choose to ignore it but she's like well you can and he's kind of like well no hmm. you can't something right. about him being off on his own 
wanting to see something that he's obviously already kind of learned about. Right. And then experiencing it up to knowing he doesn't have to do it. It can be turned off at any time. And experiencing it to a point where he's like, okay, I've had enough. Maybe that's part of his hero's journey like this is the part where he has to choose like what kind of a guy he's gonna be yeah yeah i think that's it it's you know how like klingons like have violence when they have sex sure i think there's something like that happening i see okay Okay. yeah he's kind of like you know what um, i mean he's he's the little kid finding the porn mag out in the woods for the first time yeah but like for demons it's gonna be terrible yeah because they're demons <laughs> <laughs> well i was gonna give Aubrey. what do you think Aubrey? what do you think is the meaning of, of of the end of that you know i'm not really sure but i was just thinking like you know broom says that oh out of all these other things that i've told him about this is the one damn thing he remembers and then so it's like hellboy went seeking something he remembers from a story that broom told him maybe Hellboy is thinking that it's going to be a different type of experience, and he's not sure what's going to happen, but he wants to experience it anyway. But knowing that the it can be turned off, uh, he's like, okay, I'm going to go check this thing out. Oh, so I see. Kind of, that's kind of, I mean... Uh, Testing the limits type of yeah. thing. Oh, yeah. okay. I like that. I like that. Okay. It's a much uh, more mature approach than where I was going. <laughs> but no, no, no. But, but see, you, you guys aren't wrong. I mean, I, I it took me a second to kind of remember. It's like, oh, wait, Broom said this thing. And so I was thinking about what you guys said. And so I was just like, oh, okay. I'm putting some things together. I'm not saying anything you guys are saying. So I do think that there is an erotic component to it. Uh, so maybe the way it was just or maybe the way Hellboy imagined it in his head, he was probably thinking about it as a different type of experience than what he encountered. Right. And then when the and then when the uh, woman was all like, you know, have you had enough? And he's like, enough. And she's like, good. Maybe it's just like, don't go looking for things that you're not ready for. Right. Right. Yeah. I like that. See, and that's why it's a book club and friendship. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Um, real quick, I want to look at these uh, sketchbook pages on page 128 of the collected version. We see Brian Chirilla drawing Hellboy. We also see his concepts for the ox head oh, cool. and horse face. These are great. Yeah, and he says here, with ox head and horse face, Chris and Brian blended Chinese mythology with Mignola's versions of demons and hell. So they kind of took both versions. And, you know, I went and looked up uh, ox head and horse face for my literature or for my research. And they usually have, like, spears. And so I wonder if the swords here were kind of like an artistic choice because it kind of goes along with the weird swords that Mignola draws. And in Hell, they all have these weird-shaped swords, too. So, you know. We also get a nice head sketch from Chirilla, as well as these skull heads, these masks from the Ghost Festival. And again, I, I'll post these on Instagram um, for our social media posts, it looks very much like the ones that are used in the parade. They're so creepy, too. I guess they were designed for decorations on the inside cover. So, Matt, you've got the back issues there. On the inside cover, there are these faces of these skull masks. We kind of see those sketched out here in the sketchbook. Awesome. Well, it was so great to have you back on the show, Matt. I really appreciate yeah, you being here. Yeah, good to have you back. Yeah. I mean, not only do I appreciate being on a podcast and a friendship that comes along friendship. with that, which is something that I never saw coming, but Aww. 
am forever grateful. <laughs> but thanks for reading those stupid backup stories I did and <laughs> for great. letting me they're talk great. about them. It's so fun. Like, I would never just, like, meet somebody on the street and be like, let me tell you about these stories. Like, yeah, you know, but... I don't really get the opportunity, <laughs> no, so... No, really I, cool. I mean, uh, it, it was always, uh, I, I was always excited to be able to cover them. And, you know, I think that that is one of those things. If we're, if we're a book club and we're all the fans, like, like, just like you said, you're, those comics are written for this kind of thing. I mean, they're, they're actually uh, so appropriate for what we're doing here on the show. So yeah, it's Perfect. just awesome that we can talk to you about them. That's just the added layer for me. We'd be talking about them anyway. But to have you on here and give us like a kind of behind the scenes and rejected ideas is a real treat. So, yeah, it was awesome, man. Sincerely. I mean, 2020 has been 10 years in a matter of months. <laughs> it's it's getting heavier and heavier. I mean, you and I were talking the other day. Yeah. When is there something terrible not happening, right? Yeah, yeah. So I sincerely, I just wanted to say I sincerely appreciate the friendship of the three of you guys. Uh, and when I listen to the podcast, uh, when I'm not on it, it's like I'm sick inside on a snow day and I miss my friends and you guys are out there having a good time without me. <laughs> and I'm glad you're out there having a good time, but I want to be a part of it. So I just, you know, I, I sincerely do appreciate the bond that we can make just over the phone, having never met in person. I yeah, it's been really great. Yeah. And I do call you just to like shoot the shit and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. But w whenever you want to be on, you know, um, I know you've been really busy with work and it's been really crazy but yeah you have an open invitation pretty much um anytime you want to be on just let us know and we'll and uh if you have the availability we'll all uh be a book club together yeah absolutely Matt, yes Matt, i'm really glad to have you back on i miss the hell out of you being on these shows you know it's reassuring that i'm not just some obnoxious dork <laughs> <laughs> hey that's what we do here that's what this podcast is all about yeah all right well, we'll have another great episode next week. Thank you, Tom Barnett, for sending us that little intro thing. And please send us a, send us one out there. I'd love to hear from you guys. It's good to hear some other voices on the show. And we'll have another great episode for you next week. We're creeping up on that 100th episode, so that's really exciting. And now Aubrey's going to say all the things. But before I say it, I can't believe we're almost at 100 episodes. That's just... Blows my mind. Yeah, Impressive. well, we're almost going to be at two years, too. When we get to, at the end of July, I think that's going to be two years already. I know. Crazy. All right, everybody. How did you enjoy that? Hellboy in the BPRD, 1954, Ghost Moon, The Mirror, and who the hell is Lady Cynthia? Uh, you can send us a hey, you damn guys at hellboybookclub at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. You can also find all of our resources on our Facebook About section and our Podbean website. As always, a thank you to Paul from Gardaharn for the lovely theme music. Thank you also, thank you to Mark Tudell for helping out with the reading order and John for all the editing. Thank you, Danielle, and for all the insight. And thank you, Matt, for, for being on the show again. We love you, Matt. Yes. Uh, you can find the podcast on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Next week, we are reading The Visitor, How and Why He Stayed, Part 1. So, you know what to do. Pull out your back issues, pull out your trades, pull out your omnis, borrow it from a friend, rent it from the library. Uh, make sure you practice some social distancing, and join us next week on the Hellboy Book Club Podcast. Also, don't forget about our um, our giveaway, our GoFundMe. I'm going to pass it over to John to tell you the details. 
Yeah, you have until 7-7-2020 to leave a donation, and you can win some awesome comics. Just check out our social media for all the details. Thanks for listening, everybody. My name's John Salinas. And I'm Danielle. And I'm Matt Trackbine. And I'm Aubrey Lovett saying, don't gotta tell me twice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Matt's back, everybody. Yes. Hey, Matt.